Sorry, guys. I'm hearing a weird sound when I talk. Are you hearing it? No. No. Okay, I'm really hoping that it's not showing Unless up Unless you're talking recording. about your voice. <laughs> Thank you, Mac. podcast tales from the table i'm cloud the dungeon master and creator of this adventure and around our virtual table we have athanasius flower and caden all right last time uh the party met casimir an elvish gentleman from soloon who brought some troubling news the city of zuljara which had been destroyed in the calamity has reappeared under a blanket of perpetual twilight the city is reportedly filled with fabulous wonders but almost no one who goes there has ever come back to tell about it. Worse still, the Shroud of Twilight, known as the Gloaming, is spreading. Casimir showed the party an animated origami butterfly made from one of his mother's letters, which had been destroyed years previously. It seems that inside the Gloaming, people are being lost, and lost things are coming back. After some initial hesitation, the entire party agreed to travel to Zuljara to see what was causing the strange magic. They traveled through one of Artane's portals to a small inn on the outskirts of the gloaming, where they met a couple of fellow travelers, including a flamboyant catfolk named Sonnet. Our cast of characters is growing, and the gloaming looms on the horizon. What strange and terrible things will our heroes find inside? Let's find out right now. Well, the first strange and terrible thing we're going to do is talk to Joe, right? Because she had a side quest for us. Yeah, so I... Th- think that Sonnet told you that uh, Joe was outside and was looking for some adventurers. All right, Sonnet is they, them, right? Yes. People yeah. are being lost and lost things are becoming people. <laughs> they, yeah, they might be. <laughs> you honestly don't know. Um, I mean, I used to be a dresser. <laughs> oh my god we beauty and the beast now no but in reverse in reverse because instead of a person becoming a dresser it's a dresser becoming a person well but at the end of beauty and the beast they all turned back yeah but they, they were, were all originally people originally can you people? imagine if beauty and the beast was like reversed and like all the furniture became people and then at the end it went back to being furniture <laughs> that'd be pretty fucked up that'd be yeah yeah i think that's a good way of putting it Let's be honest, when Chip turns back into a human, he should be dead as fuck. Why? Because he has a massive piece missing out of his head. He's got a giant brain. What part of it is head? I mean, it's a cup. What part of it is head and what part is body? You can't tell. Okay. Okay, then then uh, he should at least be in a lot of pain. (laughs) I guess, yeah. I guess in D&D, if your character gets turned to stone... And also, then you get turned back. Did she name him Chip before he turned? That is a good question. Yeah, it's kind of weird. Did she birth children while she was a teapot? This is yeah. way off base and we should <laughs> probably... The witch okay, but like, this is very important. Yeah, the witch is like, your name is no. Mrs. Potts? I got a fucked up thing to do to you. Let's, uh, let's press forward. Yeah, okay. Okay, yes, we go and talk to Joe. Okay, so outside, 
uh, when you step outside this sort of inn and tavern that you guys uh, got to, uh, you see outside first a couple of things. The outside, you know, looks kind of run down and shabby. It's got a sign uh, over the entrance that says the Lonely Whistle. I'm not sure if I mentioned what the name was last time. And then sort of off to the side, there's an area where, you know, people would tie up their horses or, you know, their wagons or whatever as they're passing through. And you see just an enormous wooden wagon. Uh, It's pretty hardcore. It's like completely enclosed, made out of wood. It's got six heavy-duty wheels. Um, It is covered all over in just these really bright uh, paintings of birds and animals and flowers. And uh, there are golden letters on the side which proclaim Trader Joe's Traveling Treasure Trove. And uh, the wagon is, you know, a little bit distracting. It kind of hits your eyes at first. And then you see that there is a... uh, Small, but, I mean, not small for a gnome. Gnomish woman, uh, about three and a half feet tall. And she is currently uh, taking care of a massive uh, white and gray oryx, uh, which um, she's like, you know, has it over at the water trough and is, you know, making sure it it takes a deep drink and uh, she's got like a feed bag out for it and everything. Uh, This gnomish woman, uh, she's got red hair pulled back in a blue kerchief, and her clothes are practical, but uh, they're very colorful, too. She's just wearing, like, a leather vest that is tooled in patterns that are red, blue, green, and purple. And you notice that the, like, the oryx tack, it's, like, bridal and everything, uh, is really colorful, too. Now, it's very important to know if this is Traitor Joe or Trader Joe. Oh, it is Trader Joe. Okay. Yeah, T-R-A-D-E-R. Well, that seems to be Joe. Excuse me, Joe? Yeah, I think as you say Joe, uh, Joe looks up at you. And uh, she sort of narrows her eyes. And all of a sudden, a big grin splits her face. uh, And she beckons you over. Well, looky here. Look what the man-eating cactus dragged in today. What have I got here? Those exist? You sure they do. You must be new around these parts. I shoot a glance at Casimir. Those exist? He kind of looks at you and he's like, uh, yeah, there are uh, like 33 different subspecies. Uh, af- it's, it's, not imp- it's not important. I'm not a botanist by training. I don't think you are either. Yeah, I look very distressed. I can tell, sweetie. Uh, that's uh, that's why I beckoned you over here. Uh, turns out I'm looking for some adventurers. I need somebody to do a job. If they can eat men, they could probably swallow me whole. Look, right? look man-eating man might be a bit of an exaggeration, okay? I mean, they'll take a nibble out of you every once in a while. I was but... about to say, man-nibbling? <laughs> yeah. Man-munching? <laughs> I feel like we're maybe getting off on the wrong foot a little bit here, uh, and we might be going off in a little bit of, you know, a jackrabbit tangent, uh, but jackrabbit. Uh, my name is... Man, you guys really aren't from around here, are you? What kind of rabbits they got? Where are you from? Normal white fluffy ones? You guys are just doing this because you want me to keep doing my voice. I mean, maybe. <laughs> There's a definite yeah, possibility. Yeah, I got your, I got your number there, Dragonborn. You laughing at my accent? I am not laughing at your accent. 
but I am... Good thing, too! I am very much so not wanting to get eaten by jackrabbits or man-eating cacti. Oh, well, no worries there. The, the jackrabbits, they only eat scorpions and snakes. They won't go for a person. Maybe a coyote every once in a while. Uh, look, uh, we're not doing the introductions properly. A rabbit eating a coyote? I think she looks straight at you, Caden. You're the one person who's like, basically, she can look in the eye. She's a little shorter than you, but not by much. She looks a little bit grouchy that you guys are interrupting her so much. <laughs> well, he wasn't going to, and then she, and then, and then she mentioned a jackrabbit eating a coyote, and Caden's like, huh? Well, I'll I'll make an exception because clearly you guys aren't from around here. And it must be from some different parts of the empire, but we do things a little differently around here. Uh, we got a little thing called hospitality and proper introductions. And she reaches out a hand, uh, first to Caden, I think. Caden shakes it. My name's Joe, and uh, who you be? I'm Athanasius. I wasn't asking you there, Dragonborn. Uh, we go in order, one yeah. at a time, please. Yeah, in in order. Right. <laughs> Athanasius We've done this 19 times Yeah <laughs> Joe looks very confused But shakes it off Alright 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 You yeah silver dragonborn You uh you're Athanasius And uh you You here uh, uh Mr I'm flower wow. Serpent folk Yeah Four arms, though. Man, the ones we get here in the desert, they've only got two arms. Oh, there's a mix. I've heard yeah. there are those with six arms. Never seen them, though. They must live Ooh. deep in the jungle. Me neither, man. That'd be a story to tell. And uh, you you here, honey. Uh, what's your name? And Caden. And Caden. That's just an Kayden. interesting name. Just Caden. Oh, just Caden. All right, then. Hmm. Well, my nose is telling me that you three are the ones I'm looking for, and I've never doubted my nose before, but I'm starting to now. This had better be good. We're just feeling a little goofy. He's smelling sense <laughs> in his head. Yeah, you been drinking Patley's liquor? Yeah, that might explain it. That's That stuff will uh, uh, mess you up right proper. So, uh... I can tell by the um, the scars, the armor, the, you know, general abundance of weaponry on your persons. Uh, you look like adventurers. Abundance uh, of weaponry, huh? Not on you, silver boy. Probably uh, mostly mine, huh? Yeah, most mostly on uh, on Mr. Flower here, but... Uh, I have a hand axe and a crossbow. Okay, fine. Caden takes a sip of tea. What do you want us to do, Joe? Well, if y'all are heading into the gloaming, I'm not an adventurer myself, see? I uh, I am a traveler, but uh, I ain't got the kind of fighting and sneaking skills that uh, you're going to need to pull this off. But I heard the rumors. It true that uh, disappeared stuff is coming back in there? That's the rumors, all right. Well, if that's the case, then I got something in there that I really need. And I'll pay top dollar for it if you can get it for me. This isn't going to be, like, fucked up, right? It's not, like, a, a, a person or something? No, 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 no. Okay, okay. Heavens no. No, I don't go in for murder or any of that stuff. 
Uh, like I said, the cactus might take a nibble out of you, but, uh, you know, we, we ain't gonna go in for anything cold-blooded here. No, no. No, I'm looking for a pair of boots. See, back in the day, my, my granddaddy, uh, Jackrabbit Johnson, he had these boots, these special magic boots, and her eyes get sort of misty as she talks about them. They were red leather, embroidered with silver thread, they had rabbits on them, and these beautiful gleaming silver spurs. Rabbits or jackrabbits? Jackrabbits, you know, desert rabbits. Okay. Ones that go real fast, skinny, good survivors, eat coyotes, you know, those ones. Now, these these got lost a uh, generation back. My dad wasn't always as careful as he should have been with family heirlooms. She frowns. But, uh... If I could have those boots back, those would be just the thing I need to get the trove here started off. So, if you can find those boots there in, in that city, I don't know where they are or where you'll find them, but if they're there, and if you bring them back to me in good work and order, mind, you know, no, no funny business here bringing me back broken boots, but if you bring them back and they still work and everything's pretty much tip-top shape, then I'll give you 3,500 gold pieces, or my name ain't Joe, and she spits. Uh, that's a lot of gold. That is a lot of gold. It is a lot of gold. But uh, it's, uh, it's an investment in my business, as you might say. Okay. Couple of quick questions. Sure thing. First, if we go in there to try to find your boots, and your boots are broken... We still deserve some sort of compensation for the labor. She thinks for a minute. That seems fair. If you bring me back the boots and they don't work for whatever reason, mm, they're still nice and they've got good sentimental value. And I wouldn't get them back any other way and that magic looks mighty dangerous. So I'll give you a thousand for the boots dead or alive. But 3500 if they're alive. How about that? I nod. Okay. And the second question, this is more of just kind of like a oddity, I guess. Uh, you were just bemoaning that your father lost the boots, but you want to sell them? Oh, no, honey. I want to wear them. Oh, okay. No, no, no. No, the boots aren't for going in the trove for selling. No, the boots are uh, uh, integral to the business plan. The boots were made for walking. Ah, no, my friend. Those boots were made for riding. Nah. Let's just say uh, the particular magic of the boots is integral to getting the shop to move around the way I want. Let's just put it that way. You should probably tell us what the boots actually do so we can, you know, know if they're Ain't working or not. Ain't you a fellow who likes a little bit of mystery in the world? Not when 3,500 gold's concerned. Gotta have everything just spelled out for you. I mean, not that they'd fit you. And sure enough, I mean, her feet are tiny. I mean, she's a gnome and you're a silver dragonborn. She says, I, I wasn't thinking hiring you three that any of you'd be tempted to make off with boots you can't wear, but... Sure, fine. Uh, I also figured 3,500 gold would be more than enough of a temptation for you to, you know, bring them back to me. 
It is for me. I mean, I don't boots. get me wrong. I'll go bring them back to you, but like, I need to know if they're working to know if I'm going to get the 3500 or not. Oh, I see. Uh, well, you know, like any magic item, you know, if if they they're still bright color, silver spurs still gleaming, everything looks good, they're probably good. Also, mm, looks to me like uh, some of you might have a little bit of the uh, the sauce in you. You know what I mean? She winks. And uh, people with the sauce. They can usually tell, but uh, anyway, if you fine, if you must know, it's not so much the boots, it's the spurs, see? The silver spurs, if you ride something with those spurs, that thing can go faster than the wind. It'll move like, like the earth is just falling away from you. As an aside, Cloud, mm-hmm. you realize that the sauce is Australian slang for booze, right? <laughs> oh, oops, well... Fine. And you were already commenting earlier about the fact that you thought we were drunk. <laughs> You've got the sauce in you. The boots are made for walking, and that's just what they'll do. Nah, these boots are made for riding. And uh, that's how she wants to get the shop around. Notice that it says Trader Joe's traveling treasure trove. Uh, you might not know why uh, Joe wants it to travel faster than the wind, but uh, that seems to be her plan. Well, good enough for me. That's all my questions. We'll see what we can do. It seems like it's a big place, so we may not run into them, but if we do, we'll do what we can to get them back. Well, thank you kindly. Also... So so no idea where where they would be besides in there? Well, let's just put it this way. You, You ain't the first people I've talked to coming here. Treasure hunters, adventurers... Seen a few people come back out of there, too, and let's just put it this way. If you've got something you're looking for, and maybe even something you ain't looking for, but that wants to find you, it'll find you in there. It's not so much a matter of looking for it. It's more just a matter of time. Well, that's just delightful. Yeah, sounds a bit ominous, doesn't it? A little bit. Yeah, well, I mean, just look at it. And sure enough, if you turn around, you can see the gloaming very clearly, uh, about a mile or so away. The searing blue midday sky that's above you fades to a deep indigo flecked with small, bright stars, and the baking golden sand that's underfoot turns into soft purple dunes and shadowy plains. The landscape around here is pretty open and like almost featureless, apart from uh, the distant bulk of Mount Zamrad, uh, which is also called the Green Lady, um, and that's the mountain that Zuljara is sort of built in the shadow of. Uh, but apart from that, uh, there's really nothing blocking your view, so you can see, sure enough, the low, indistinct shapes of uh, maybe like a small village, pretty Uh, near at hand and then in the further distance uh, you can see the city of Zuljara itself I think it looks pretty yeah looks looks can be a little bit deceiving Caden is 100% creeped out I'm creeped out too if it if it comes to that I'm just looking forward to not being in the sun anymore oh come on don't you enjoy it you got the scales too don't you enjoy a good basking flower I'm a silver dragonborn I was born high, high up in the mountains, 
and I'm used to very cold weather. Oh, at least you don't have fur. That's true. Raya would be loving it here. I think uh, at this point, uh, the door of the inn and tavern opens, and out come uh, Sonnet and their companion, who I, I don't think you ever found out his name. Uh, and uh, they walk out and uh, look at you for a moment. Sonnet sort of hoists their pack up on their shoulders and gives you a bit of a rakish wave and a grin. Uh, and then the two of them set out. Looks like they're heading northwest-ish. Is that towards the gloaming? No, it actually looks like they're skirting around the outside for now. Uh, and uh, Casimir, I think at this point, comes over, clears his throat a little bit. <clears throat> I, I know it looks like they're heading northwest. Uh, I was speaking to them a little bit. Um, they're making for... Uh, the remains of the village of Alsun. Uh, but if I were you, I would recommend heading straight ahead that way. And he points in a sort of in a north but mostly east uh, direction, heading straight into the gloaming. And you can see that there is a road. Uh, it's the road that would have led travelers to the Lonely Whistle back in the day. Um, uh, if you follow that road, that's pretty much the most direct route to Zuljara from here, you'll pass by uh, the village of Mirsa and then uh, straight on uh, to the Gate of Opals. I recommend we fill up some extra water skins. Well, there's definitely water here. Um, There's like a pump outside and everything. So if, you, if you'd want to do that, that's fine. Caden's only saying that because... <laughs> Because of the example that I posted where, like, they're going to die of thirst if they don't drink from an enchanted fountain or something. You didn't say what was wrong with the fountain. You just gave it a name. Just a normal crystal fountain. Nothing wrong with it. But apparently drinking from it will make me a bad person. No, not a bad person. Just less of a person. I'll just be... I just won't have integrity. Integrity in this like case physical is a integrity, term. not... Capital, All right, we're... Yeah, so we're actually... Integrity. Uh, let's actually take a minute to talk about this as you enter the gloaming. So, uh, to the listeners, um, I can't seem to resist hacking new mechanics into Dungeons and Dragons. Uh, so, like last time when we were in Kazadros, we had that chaotic, uh, magic thing going on, which, uh, all, all due credit was inspired by a mechanic, uh, from the first season of, oh, what was it called? Heroes and Halfwits, which was the Rooster Teeth, uh, live play D&D podcast. Uh, pretty good stuff. This, uh, arc, uh, the system that I've come up with, uh, I'm calling the integrity system, uh, which Caden says, and here is the description. So, uh, what you're about to enter, which is called the gloaming, is a powerful and corrupting magic. Everything it touches begins to be changed by it. And as you travel into the gloaming, uh, your characters are going to be at risk of losing their integrity, which is sort of what I'm using to describe their essence. Basically, like the thing that makes you a real and distinct individual. Basically, the way the gloaming is part of the way it's working is that it is sort of leeching the reality out of things and then putting reality into things that weren't real to begin with. So it's kind of a trade-off there. Uh, so at the beginning, each of your characters uh, has an integrity of 10, which is the highest score. 
Um, you could never have more than 10 integrity. That's like your, your completeness. Um, but as you travel through the gloaming, certain actions might cost you some of your integrity and other things might restore some of it. Uh, usually in D&D, um, the way that things, mechanics like this might work, uh, like if your character's at risk of losing something, like um, if you get bit by a poison snake and uh, you need to see if you're actually poisoned or not, or if you are targeted by a spell that might make you afraid, usually in that case in D&D, you make a saving throw to see if you uh, succeed at resisting the effect or not. However, that's actually not how this is going to work. Um, because integrity, unlike physical or mental health, isn't something that you can save by force of body or will. Um, so this is actually uh, going to purely be affected by uh, explicit choices that uh, the players make throughout this arc. Um, they're going to be presented with choices at different points, and I, as uh, the dungeon master, am always going to make it explicitly clear when... Uh, integrity is being threatened. So I'm never going to trick you into giving up some of your integrity. You will always know ahead of time what the clear choice is, and you can either choose to give up some of your integrity or to not do that thing um, and retain your integrity. Um, but there are costs and benefits either way. If you choose to resist uh, the influence of the gloaming and retain your current level of integrity, that's basically the benefit that you get, and you can always choose that path. However, giving into the temptation that the gloaming offers, while it will cost you an integrity point, will give you one experience point, and also there's usually some also like additional benefit, which could be information or a chance to do something or uh, gaining possession of an item, the, all sorts of things. The one I put in there was had to do with drinking from a fountain and then not dying of thirst, which Caden apparently has latched onto. But uh, that was kind of a poor example. This is mostly going to have to do with temptation. Uh, and I don't actually think you guys are going to be at risk of dying from thirst unless something weird happens. It was a fine example. I just oh, okay. like uh, making fun of small little things. That, like take the context <laughs> out of the thing and make it do a joke. I like. I don't actually want it to be that small of a thing. Um, like believe me, the stuff I have planned it definitely has to do more with um, internal temptation than like. I, ha I had no doubt you wouldn't just make us choose between drinking water. Or, yeah, yeah, dying of thirst, right? I never thought you would actually do that. I just yeah. like taking the conducts out of things to make it a joke. <laughs> well, time to bleed myself down to one integrity for free XP. Woo! So the reason that I chose that, again, this in like full full disclosure, and in case any listeners would find this interesting, like this mechanic is definitely inspired by uh, various things that are found in different Powered by the Apocalypse games, uh, including I looked at the corruption system from Urban Shadows. Um, I read a nice tweet thread by Vincent Baker the other day that talked about um, how in games you can use XP sometimes to turn players against their characters a little bit, like sort of like... Uh, give them an incentive to do something that they, as people outside the game, know will harm the character, but that will create an interesting story, um, all sorts of stuff like that. And 
since we're talking about losing integrity, as your integrity fades, your character will begin to lose their physical substance. Um, your stats aren't going to change or anything like that because that would be too confusing. But you'll start to appear shadowy and indistinct. And mostly what this represents is that the further you go in losing your integrity, the less you will ever want to leave the gloaming. The gloaming will become what's real to you and everything outside it will become unreal. Um, so... Uh, your previous life and motivations that drove you to enter the gloaming in the first place will seem less and less important. And if you ever lose your last point of integrity, your character's lost to the gloaming, basically. Um, you're not dead, and this is a fantasy, so it's not that there's no coming back. I mean, in D&D, even death isn't always the end, but your character is going to be temporary, at least temporarily, if not permanently lost to the magic of the gloaming. Uh, so, oh, and the rationale for giving the experience point to uh, give up when you give up a point of integrity isn't just as a nice carrot for you as players, although it is that, but also because each of these decisions is going to be something consequential and it is going to represent something that usually you would gain XP for anyway, such as a moment of uh, character change or reinforcement, or it's going to give you information about yourself or the world or possession of an important object. All those things that already would give you an experience point, right? Uh, the final mechanic is that once you've lost an integrity point, the only way to get it back is to have an ally give you one of their integrity points. Uh, at any point, any one of you can choose to give one or more points of your integrity to another character. But when you do that, um, you shouldn't just say like, oh yeah, we're around the campfire and uh, I give Flower one of my integrity points. Like when you do this, this is representing like a significant act of personal sacrifice. So... That could be in a variety of ways, but you could reveal something uh, hidden or secret about yourself or something that um, you fear or regret, something like that. Um, you could be physically giving up a precious resource of some sort uh, or letting go of an opportunity or saying something that it costs your character something to say. Um, and my only advice here is just play into your bonds with each other. Uh, and lastly, um, integrity uh, is something that I'm only going to use while you guys are inside the gloaming. This isn't like a permanent mechanic for this campaign. It's a temporary one. However, this when you leave the gloaming, it's not going to sort of magically heal any you know, anything bad that happened to you inside. Like, this definitely, the choices you make in here are going to affect your characters going forward. Of course, because that's how life works. So, um, even though this mechanic is temporary, the stuff that happens here is definitely going to have permanent consequences. Okay. Do you guys have any questions? Nope. Nope, no questions. We we know our fate is sealed. We know we're doomed. Well, actually, I have one question. Okay. You kind of contradicted yourself in there a little bit. Okay, which part? When you first introduced the system, you said we'd be able to make choices that would cost us integrity or gain us integrity back. But then later you said the only way we could get integrity back is if someone else gives it to us. 
Yeah, I probably just worded that a little bit badly at the outset. What I meant is that there are ways to lose it and ways to gain it back. The way that you lose it will be through your personal choices, and the way to gain it back is to have somebody give it to you. There is a way to lose it. There is a way to, to, yeah. Like just one way. It's just only one way, and it's to have someone else sacrifice part of themselves to restore you. This is going to be great. Athen is going to get 27 experience points. We're all going to get out of here with one integrity left. Um, yeah, you can, you can try to game this mechanic, but, but let me tell you, boyo, uh, it's, it's not going to be, it's not going to be good for you. Okay. That's the system that we're going to be using inside the gloaming. Hey, um, new system. Yeah. Well, I just heard that I need to fill up on a buttload of water. Yep. It's okay. You did. And get a pet camel. And a pet camel. <laughs> Sadly, you do not see any camels around here. Pretty much the only, like, pack. is this? Well, the only pack animal you see is uh, Joe's oryx that she We're was taking care of. Get a man-eating cactus as a pet. You Just cart it around a little. We're gonna plant it in my herb pot. You that is like legitimately a thing that you could do. You could have a man-eating cactus in a pot in your your traveling gardener's pot. Okay, so as you guys walk forward into the gloaming. The air cools and your eyes, which had been sort of strained by the brightness of the noonday sun, relax in the comfortable shadows that enfold you. The night air feels perfect on your skin. There's just like a slight cooling breeze uh, that ruffles your uh, hair or uh, uh, crest or scales. (laughs) I realize as I said that only one of you has freaking hair. Okay. (laughs) yay uh but everything else is completely almost ominously silent there is absolutely no sound at all except for the shuffling of your feet and or body tail that you used to slither along the ground is it sand or is it like just rough dirt well so right now you are on a road even this far out from the city um, the road is paved, so uh, there is some sort of sand and you know gravelly area around you. But uh, right now, you guys are on a road. Uh, How do it's they not... pave roads, dude? This was the Almerian Empire. They used magic to create like all their infrastructure. It's not oh, it's not. Oh, it's not asphalt, dude. <laughs> it's it's paved with stones. No, they they didn't have like ye olde like asphalt street paver just rolling on through from Zuljara going eh 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 like no no steamrollers <laughs> no it's got a little white stripe painted down the middle you don't know what for decoration maybe no it's paved with stones uh yeah and you guys are on the road there is sand and sort of crumbly dirt you know, stretching on around you. You can see that the desert, you know, sort of goes off into billowy dunes in the distance. But this area is a little less complete sand and a little more dirt and gravel-ish. Flower, as as you've sort of come into your power as a paladin, you have got this growing connection to the earth. And instantly you feel uneasy Um, up through 
you know, the scales that are in contact with the ground, you can feel the sand uh, and the stones, and we'll just say the stones of the road, uh, beneath you, almost trembling with tension, and almost you feel something like fear. And Caden, you can feel it too. There's a hum of magic in the air, like the static charge before a thunderstorm. And as you walk towards... Uh, the sort of low and shadowy shapes, which don't get too much more distinct even as you draw close to them of uh, the village that uh, Casimir called Mirsa. Uh, Athanasius, your armband begins to glow. Ooh, fancy. Yeah, that, that maybe <laughs> wasn't... just uh... looked down at his armband and said, ooh, fancy. Hmm... <laughs> The armband thinks to itself, hmm, maybe I need a, a little more of a clear signal. Maybe I should like glow flashing red Flash or something red. like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the armband thinks I might be being a little too subtle about this. <laughs> <laughs> Mirsa was once a small but prosperous village. As you uh, walk down, you know, pretty much the only, you know, but main road in it. Everything around you is flickering, flimsy shadow, but you can still see that the buildings, even though they were small, they were beautiful and well-maintained, all with the curved shapes and small windows that are favored by the desert-dwelling elves, and their smooth and sculpted stone walls were decorated with intricate patterns. The streets were wide, so you think, you know, probably lots of traffic passed through here, and there's even a pool and a fountain in the village center Though, as you approach it, the sound of the falling water seems to reach your ears from very far away, even when you're right next to it. A crystal fountain? No, it's not a crystal fountain. This one is just made of uh, sculpted stone. Uh, But it is is beautiful. Uh, But as you listen to the sound of the water, there's another sound that reaches your ears, too. Uh, Something like whispering voices. And among the shadowy houses and buildings, shapes are moving towards you. Uh, Dozens of them, it looks like. And three step close enough that you can see what they are. Uh, The shadow of a tall elven woman with long, billowing hair. A centaur whose hooves float just above the ground. And a tiefling man with thick, curling horns. Their bodies are like smoke, but their eyes are black holes in the fabric of reality. Does the centaur have horse pants? He does not have horse pants. It's also not Detective Tom. Thank goodness he's safe back in Ossilian. How could you make a centaur without horse pants? How could you do this to me? Tom wasn't wearing pants. I only specified that he was wearing a... um... uh, a shirt and, like, a a black police jacket that said Ossilian PD. So what, his horse schlong is just, like, hanging out there for the whole world to see? It's not indecent. Well, Jim the doorman would think it was indecent, but mo- but most people don't think it's indecent. He's a horse person. But he's a sentient being. Look, but there you know that there are parts of the world where bugbears don't wear clothing. They just walk around their, their natural selves. Yeah, but they're nudists. <laughs> they don't, they, you know, they don't think of itself that, themselves that way. They think of you guys as being clothingists. Uh huh. 
as uh, as the party is being faced down by horrifying shades, uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> Athanasius's main this? concern is is whether the uh, the um, horrifying shade of the centaur is wearing uh, shade pants or not. Yep. <laughs> yeah, are these things aggressive or are they just like looking at us? So they are whispering towards you. You feel sort of this whispering pressing against your minds. Uh, and this is actually going to be our first integrity challenge. So if you open your mind to hear the voices of these shades, you'll lose a point of integrity, but you'll get to hear what they have to say. Uh, they are definitely, uh, as you look, um, there are dozens of these beings and they are sort of surrounding you. Uh, so they look like they might make an aggressive move, although it's a little difficult to tell. Okay, so if we decide to open our minds to the whispers, will we be able to hear the voices of not just these ones, but any shades we run into moving forwards? No, I think just these ones. Caden is not interested. Yeah, not interested. Yeah, I think Flower 2 just instinctually sort of assumes this is some sort of, you know, mind attack and shrugs it away. It does feel like that. I mean, you can definitely feel this magic trying to pry its way into your mind. Okay, uh, as you as you resist, uh, the tiefling man steps forward. He seems almost like he's trying to scream at you. Uh, he reaches out his hands towards you, trying to shake you. And uh, you guys roll for initiative. Ah. 20. 16. 10. Caden, you have that... That wine or that water that you never drank that increases your HP, huh? Yeah, you want to chug that right about now? <laughs> yeah, I'll chug that. <laughs> if you quick chug your your magic water, you're gonna have seventeen. <laughs> okay, cool. Yep. All right. First off the bat is flower. Flower, what do you do? Um, I'm very curious to see how this thing interacts with the machete. All right. Um, not very well because that's a uh, seven. Yeah, uh, swing and a miss. Uh, this shade is attack. strangely agile, um, and it is probably due to the fact that their body doesn't, you know, their bodies don't seem to have a whole lot of substance to them. Okay, Caden. Uh, how many are there? Uh, attacking you, only three. I, I'll go ahead and zap them with my static arc. Okay. And they have two... See, dexterity saving throw. How many of them? Two. Okay, the first one succeeds, and the second one. What's your uh? What's your spell save DC? Thirteen. Okay, yeah, they both succeed. Rip me. Yeah, these things are are strangely dexterous, uh, because they're incorporeal. Uh, Athanasius, you're up next. Wow, not on the shades yet. They must have had really crap initiative. They had terrible initiative rolls, but then they are now they're making up for it with good rolls to avoid you guys. Well, let's see. Don't really want to burn a spell slot, so I will cast Toll the Dead. Um, Athanasius, before you do that, uh, I want you to roll me a Knowledge Arcana check. And you want me to use Arcana? You don't want me to use my spell mod? No, uh, this is this is actually an intelligence-based check. Uh, 17. Okay. Athanasius, necromancy and anything concerning the undead was 
strictly, strictly taboo in the Almerian Empire uh, before the Calamity and still. However, uh, there were some books at the university. They weren't kept in the library, but they were there in hidden chambers, uh, you know, with lots of padlocks and things like that. And uh, certain students, you know, are for academic purposes only, of course, uh, sometimes allowed to enter those rooms and study some of those tomes. Uh, only for the theory, of course. Theory only, no practice. Uh, and you know from some of your studies that the magic you can do now is unlikely to harm an undead creature. You, I think as a grave cleric, you, you know that these creatures have passed from real life into the sort of illusory or false life that animates the undead. Okay. TLDR, don't use Toll the Dead on these things. It's they're immune. And you know it. <sighs> I guess I just kind of swung my axe then. Hey. Hey. Rip. Uh, hey. 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 Mr. Cl hey. Mr. Mr. Cleric. Hey. Hey, you're, you're, hey, you're a cleric. Uh-huh. Hey, hey, you're, you're a cleric. Uh-huh. Oh. But there's no way these things only have a CR of 0.5 or whatever. You're right. They they don't. It is higher than that. Um, isn't there? There isn't anything that that you can do that. Um, I mean, I have turn undead, but it's not as cool as destroying them. Dude, you're only a level three cleric. Go go for some turn. Go for some turn. I mean, okay. I as dungeon master would never tell you what to do. However, I am just reminding you that you are actually a cleric and not a necromancer and therefore you have some special skills that might help you in a situation like this that's all i'm gonna say no further comment yeah okay i'll cast turn undead all right i really want you to describe how you do this with the armband i think kind of like when i cast bless right i touch the armband and some glowing energy kind of gets pulled out of it and coalesces in my hand mm -hmm. but then unlike bless where i then distribute it to the party members that i choose to mm -hmm. bless and they get blessed and they are blessed and uh happy bless and all of that hashtag blessed hashtag blessed Papa bless. <laughs> um, so I take the energy and I kind of like kneel down and slam it into the ground. And okay. this shock wave kind of goes out. Ooh. Um, it doesn't have any effect on anything that's alive, but actually I'm, I'm going to counter. Actually it does. Flower and Caden, as Athanasius does this, you feel this tingling surge of power pass through you. It doesn't do you any harm or, you know, give you any added benefit, but you feel it almost as it's surging um, 
And just for a second, you can almost feel almost like there are tiny threads connecting you to Athanasius, and this energy surges along them into you and then passes out. Whoa! So it, it basically sends out this shockwave, um, and then whenever it hits an undead, the power kind of like coalesces around them. Okay. And then, you know, has has the effect of turn undead. <laughs> Bro! For fucking serious, paint with words. Like, what do you, what do you want from me? And then they get real scared and they run away. No, like, what does it look like as you? Tr- as this glowing energy surrounds surrounds the undead. The energy that just surged through your friends now and and, and left them almost feeling better now surges towards the undead, and to them, it's deadly fire. It wraps around them and scalds them. It burns away at the smoke of their uh, almost unreal beings. And you can hear all of a sudden the whispering is screaming in your ears. Uh, And do they... So is there some sort of check here to see if they save against it? What what happens here? Yes. Um, Each undead I can see... Or here, within 30 feet, must make a wisdom saving throw. Okay. Oh, and what's your save, DC? 13. <laughs> this glowing surge of light uh, burns at them, and they scream. And every single one of them turns tail and flees into the night. Nice, mm-hmm. nice job. <laughs> Rip that fight. <laughs> oh my gosh is that a new one i haven't seen you do that before yeah i'm i i have a feeling it only works on undead and we haven't really run into any of those yet is that what these are i mean i'm pretty sure they're shades which yeah that's a form of undead not that you would know because of course you haven't read any of those books where stuff like that's discussed. Oh yeah, I totally didn't. No, you you don't know anything about stuff like that. Wow. Some guy told you in a bar once. Oh yeah, uh-huh. And the rest of the shades which were sort of milling about hemming you in, they they fade away as well. Some of them got struck by a little bit of your your fire and fled others just seem to sort of melt back into the background but your way free is definitely clear That's it for this week. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode and please give us a rating and review to help others join our adventure. You can find out more about the show and how to get in touch with us on our website, talesfromthetablecast.com, and you can find us on Twitter, at TableTalesCast. This podcast was edited by Cloud and Audrey, and produced by Cloud. Special thanks to Matt Marshall for his awesome advice. Our theme music is 8-Bit Adventure by Adhesive Wombat. This is your Dungeon Master, Cloud, and I hope you'll join us next week on Tales from the Table.